Well, good afternoon, Lake Norman, and welcome to Town Talk. We're coming to you live from WSIC, the Real Talk Studio, nestled on the banks of beautiful Lake Norman, streaming worldwide from Aberdeen, Scotland to Conway, South Carolina. I'm your host, Bill Russell, President of Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce, the largest Chamber of Commerce in the Charlotte region. This is a program where we discuss topics that are impacting your family, your friends, your neighbors, your business, from my neighborhood to yours. My guest today is Hardy Smith. And Hardy, I've known you quite a while. You've worked with nonprofits and, and boards. Uh, you've worked 30 years in NASCAR, 10 in municipal services. Uh, you've been president of the Talladega, Alabama Chamber of Commerce. You were on the board of the Daytona Beach Chamber of Commerce. And we kind of both cut our teeth in the JCs. Uh, it was uh, the JCs, for people who may not be familiar, much like an organization like Rotary, Sertomas, Civitans, Optimus, uh, specifically for young people, 21 to 39. Uh, back when we first got involved, it was just a men's organization. Then it became co-ed men and women. Uh, you were an Alabama JC. I was a South Carolina JC. You rose to the ranks of state president, went on and went uh, as a national vice president. Let me ask you a question. How did your participation in the Junior Chamber of Commerce, or JCs, impact what you're doing today? Well, Bill, that's a, number one. Thanks for having me today on your program. This is absolutely fantastic. I know we're going to have great fun, and uh, we only have an hour, so... You have an hour. We, we could go into overtime, I we know. Could. But But to answer the question, uh, everything, everything. Uh, and at, at the time, when the, when the JC organization was formed... Um, it was for uh, young men, um, ages uh, 18 to uh, 35. It, it changed a couple mm -hmm, of times did. in there. But uh, that was really uh, for, for the, the, the young male at that time in this country. That was really the only opportunity you had to get ahead um, in business, uh, business connections, uh, professional development, um, social interaction, so that's what it was all created for. Um, at that time, the existing civic club organizations, Lions, Qantas, Rotary Exchange, uh, Optimist, those organizations didn't allow younger individuals uh -huh. to join. Uh, even if you and even if you were in business, you may have worked for a family business operation in your local community. Well, the older uh, members of the family, maybe your dad, maybe your grandfather, uh, could be a part of the Chamber of Commerce. Right. But you, as a young individual with aspirational goals, weren't allowed. That's right. So the the Junior Chamber of Commerce, which is where JC the JC name came from, um, that's why that was all created. So all about uh, community leadership development. Uh, through uh, and personal development through community service. That's what it was all about, and that's why I'm where I am today. You know, Hardy, and we've discussed, my father uh, was, was president of the Rock Hill JCs. He was in a lot of different organizations, Kiwanis, JCs, United Way. Mom was a JCette, so, right. uh, and, and one of the things that she's most proud of is she was the JCette of the year, and I think it was probably around 83 or 84 that the women's organizations, and a lot of people think that the, the men and the women converged into one organization. But really what happened is the women's organization, which had about 150,000 women, they folded completely. And the men's organization that had like 375,000 men, a lot of those dropped out because they didn't, they, they didn't want to be told what they could do. And so they became the, maybe the, the local men's organization instead of, instead of JC's. But, uh, it really profoundly impacted me. We actually started three JC chapters here in Lake Norman. One was recognized as the milestone chapter of the year in the United States. So they won the Hemp Wessel Award, the most outstanding JC chapter. But like anybody 21 to 39, what's important today may not be important tomorrow. So we created a young professionals organization uh, after three tries of JCs. And the uh, young professionals is, is up under the wing of the chamber of commerce, very successful here in Lake Norman. Did you have uh, a young professionals where you were at in Alabama? Uh, yes. Uh, we, well, we didn't have uh, like a young leadership or young professionals <laughs> organization. 
Um, uh, and those are typically affiliated with chambers. Mm -hmm. But but when NASCAR moved myself and the family to Daytona Beach to the corporate operation, the Daytona Beach Chamber had and continues to have a very robust um, leadership leadership program, young leadership program. You know, I, I know that there are several uh, strong chapters in South Carolina and North Carolina of the JCs, and but here in, in uh, Lake Norman, we have our young professionals. They meet uh, on a monthly basis. They have their networking events. They have their own professional development programs, their own the philanthropies that they work on, much like we did in, in the JCs. But I can tell you, just like the question I led in with you, there is no way I would be doing what I'm doing at the Chamber of Commerce today if it weren't for the impact of the Junior Chamber of Commerce. Well, and I, and I can certainly appreciate that. And, and of course, they're literally not just hundreds or thousands of or tens of thousands. They're actually hundreds of thousands of individuals across this country and around the world that, that have benefited from that. But, you know, the one thing that's constant in life is change. And, and change happens and, and times move on. And, but, but those it's very interesting, though, Bill, you bring this up because the same needs for professional development, personal development, business connections, all of those leadership development, all of those same needs still exist for young men and women uh, in our country today. You know, whether we're talking about getting involved in the JCs or Civitans or whatever group that it is, Lions Club, why should a young person 21 to 39 get involved in any type of civic organization, in your opinion? Well, I think, I think just look at the, look at the opportunities that, that are represented. Um, it's an opportunity to, to, number one, socialize. It is an opportunity to network. And we know how important networking is. I mean, that's probably a number one item that most people joining anything today um, are looking for, but just a chance to learn and a chance to, to get a, uh, I think, a, a step ahead. Um, it's a chance to make connections. Um, I, I, I've lost count of the number of, of business opportunities, job opportunities I've had I can't really think about filling out too many job applications, <laughs> but just because somebody knew me or I knew someone else, um, th there's a whole network of people that you can go to uh, for resources, answering questions. How, how, how would you solve this situation that I'm in right now? So any opportunity to be involved in any type of community organization uh, whether it's a civic organization, a religious organization, a, a fraternal organization, all of those are tremendous opportunities. And I would encourage as many people as possible uh, to find a tribe and, and join in and participate. You know, I, I had no real goal when people, because I, I became president of the United States JCs, and people sit down and say, well, how did you map that out? And uh, literally, I didn't have a goal to be president of the United States JCs. I just wanted to be president of my local, my local JC chapter. I want to be president of Daddy's chapter. And uh, that opportunity availed itself. And then uh, the next opportunity, a district director, and then a state president just like you, and then national vice president, and national president, and journal, uh, junior chamber international on an international level. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about your book, Stop the Blame Game. Uh, fantastic book. I've read that. You've been up here talking about it. We're going to get into some of the nuances of board management. Uh, if you're listening to us, please stay with us on WSIC Town Talk. We'll be right back after this break and some news. Thank you. For those of you who are streaming with us on WSIC's channel, also on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, all of the other social media streams, we're going to continue having a conversation with Hardy Smith. Uh, I want to remind people that the Chamber's signature event, the Lake Norman Chamber Business Expo, our trade show, our show and tell, the opportunity for businesses to explain what they do is going to be October the 10th, 11 o'clock to 5 o'clock at the Huntersville Recreation Center. Uh, we expect about 120 businesses, a dozen nonprofits. Hardy, uh, when you were uh, with your local chamber of commerce, do you guys have a, a business expo? 
Absolutely. I think every chamber in America has a business expo, and uh, I would encourage uh, uh, those businesses in your listening area. Well, well, since we're streaming, that's like, like global, isn't it? We're worldwide. <laughs> we're going all the way to Korea. What are you talking about? All right. But, you know, participate. And not only participate as a business and a chance to, to show off and promote, uh, but come out and see what it's all about. So great, those are always great opportunities. You know, Hardy, for somebody listening, if they're not involved in the Chamber of Commerce, you've stepped back from your role as an executive director, president of your Chamber of Commerce. Why should any business belong to a chamber, whether they're in Mooresville, Statesville, or Grand Rapids, Michigan? Why should they get involved in their Chamber of Commerce? You know that's a great question, and I, I've I've got I've got the answer. Uh, chamber chambers of commerce, uh, as as evolution happens, chambers of commerce bill across the country have evolved, um, and they are now seen as the chief collaborators and conveners in communities across <laughs> America, and they're the chambers are right there, boots on the ground, solving the most complex and difficult challenges every community has. I'd get highly recommend getting involved in a local chamber. You know, one of the things that we also do for our community is we've got uh, candidate filings that just took place a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> we got a lot of people running for town board in Huntersville and Cornelius. And, <clears throat> excuse me, on Thursday, October the 12th, we're having a candidate forum in Cornelius, 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock at Town Hall. Tuesday, October the 17th, we're going to have a forum just for three people who are running for mayor of Huntersville and uh, probably five candidates for commissioner. Then two days later on Thursday, October the 19th, 7 o'clock to 9, again at Town Hall and, and uh, Huntersville, we're going to have the balance of the commissioners. Uh, Jessica Zeppis, who is the owner and general manager of this studio, is actually going to be our MC. So for those of you streaming with us, uh, we're going to go back uh, live in just a few minutes. Thank you Talk. for being with us. Now. And welcome back to Town Talk. I'm Bill Russell, president of Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce, and I have Hardy Smith with me today. He is a former president of a Chamber of Commerce, but he's the author of Stop the Blame Game. And uh, Hardy, we've got an old friend of ours on the phone, Tom Russo, former state president of the South Carolina JCs, but he was also the executive vice president of the Myrtle Beach Area Chamber of Commerce, one of the, and if not the largest, Chamber of Commerce in South Carolina. Tom, are you with us? Yes, I am. And uh, good to, to hear you and Hardy here. So, yeah. Well, welcome. <laughs> and, and times. <laughs> Tom, I, I, I was sharing with him that my first role uh, in the state organization of JCs uh, was when you oh, actually yeah. asked me to be a district director uh, from the Rock Hill JCs. But I will tell you, and I was sharing with Hardy, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing with the Chamber of Commerce today if you hadn't encouraged me to get active on a state level. And then after I had served as president of the United States JCs, you were the executive vice president of Myrtle Beach, and I called you and we talked about it, and you said, I think this is something you should do. So I don't know if I've ever said this publicly to you, but there is no way I would be doing what I'm doing today if it weren't for Tom Russo. Well, thank you. That's nice to hear. And, and there, know, are, um, there are some people, though, that yeah. probably blame you for this. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, the good and the bad. you got to have it all, you know. That's what it is. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to hear you talk about chambers and their roles in the communities. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing a study of World War I and Woodrow Wilson is foreign policy. But what I discovered in doing that study and analysis is the role of the U.S. Chamber. <clears throat> they organized war committees, war service committees is what they were called, oh, wow. by industry. So there was a textiles, there was steel, and there was no Department of Defense. And so the, the character I'm studying is Bernard Baruch, who was the... The, uh, the, the, the chief of the War Industries Board. And um, he, um, his committee structure was the public sector while the War Service Committee was the private sector. So what happened way back in the 1916-1918 period is you had this public-private partnership. They didn't know it then, <laughs> we know it today, but that was really the instrumental uh, formation of associations and chambers, and the JCs grew out of that in 1919. 
Tom, I've got this a, is to start to organize. Tom, it sounds like some great research you've got. I've got a great book by a good friend of mine. I'll be glad to share that title with you. Uh, the author's name is Chris Mead. Um, he's well known in Chamber of Commerce circles across the country. His book is uh, the history of the United States Chambers of Commerce uh, up to <laughs> like uh, yes. 1945. Uh, may may have gone a yeah. little bit later than forty five, but he gets into exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an incredible history. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the reason they were the chambers were doing that is they came in under the War Industries Board because they liked the protective nature that the government gave them in terms of kind of setting aside the antitrust laws. You know, so they could work together cooperatively. But of course that changed over the decades, but you see that today is, you know, within the chambers. I mean, you're, you're talking about that now. Why should businesses join the chamber for that cooperative, cooperative collaboration among industries like themselves and with other industries. So it's, uh, you're right, it's a fascinating history. Both of you have been anyway, involved. A departure with, from JC's, but <laughs> yeah, both of you have been involved in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce with the Institute program of teaching youngsters some some of uh, the the, yes. the the execs that are coming along what the tool giving them the tools they need to be successful in their careers. <clears throat> yes, um, yeah, I was the the Charleston Institute, and that was like five or six years, um, and it was a wonderful experience from. The, the cha from the exec from the institute level, I mean, being able to uh, you know give insights into new people coming along and how to how to kind of uh, speed up their development so they could be more effective in their community. I mean, you know, and I was thinking just it, it, while while you all were talking earlier, what I got out of that chamber as well as the JC experience. And I did it today and I've been doing it over the last several years, is knowing, identifying what the vision is of whatever you're trying to accomplish, and then being able to convey that with, with passion. And and I know that's that's a lot of what Hardy does in, in, in his talks and and, and uh, speeches. And I'm sure Bill, you Bill, I know you do that well, uh, is is really trying to convey that passion for what we do. To audiences or to groups, um, and I found that with little projects and big projects, and it works. You really <laughs> got to create the concept or the vision, and then convey that and 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 show passion for it, and then hopefully somebody will hang around. <laughs> Tom, <clears throat> you know, Tom, I know you're through. you're still very involved in associations and HOAs. Uh, you deal with board members. Do you have any questions uh, that you could pose to Hardy? Um, you know, my my involvement is is with the City of Myrtle Beach Bicycle and Pedestrian Committee, but the other is the National Corvette Restorer Society, Corvette Restoration stuff, and both of those become really political, <laughs> really quick, you know, and 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 it gets frustrating because I'm not in a power position, but I can see clearly what ought to be done. Put me in charge and I can make it happen. But I don't want to play anymore. You know, I don't want I don't want to get involved. I don't want to play. Um, and I try to help like the least. Well, here's a good example. So I'm trying to help the president of the NCRS move in a different direction to improve membership and revenue. Now, isn't that a foreign concept? You know? And he just doesn't get it. He just he can't get there because he doesn't have the management skills. He's all about the politics of it. How do you help someone like that, Hardy? <laughs> well, that's, that's that's a great question, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, share a quote uh, from from my book. It, it's uh, it's one of one of my favorite quotes. Uh, the Chancellor of uh, Troy University in Alabama, Jack Dr. Jack Hawkins, is, has been a longtime friend of mine and supported me all through the years in JCs. By the way, so it goes back a long way. Yeah, uh, Tom, sure. what what he shared was. Uh, Hardy, if they help bake the cake, they own the cake. So you, you, you've, <laughs> yeah. you've really got to, uh, it, it may be a little frustrating. It may not happen as quickly as you want it to happen, but I would urge you to, to have some patience 
and help formulate oh, yeah. ideas so that uh, so that that your your leadership uh, takes ownership of those ideas and those are their ideas. Um, it may may take a different yeah. route, but but I would suggest you can get to where you want to go. But and and you know patience is critical. <laughs> patience is totally critical, and there's a, there's another important lesson. Uh, Tom and Bill, I, it, it's taken me a little while, but there's a big difference between asking and telling. And so, especially when you're working with volunteers, if you really want them to move, you've got to listen to them. What's important to them? Why are yeah. they involved? What are they wanting to get out of the experience? It may or may not have anything to do with the mission at hand, but if you can understand their why, the Simon Sinek, you know, know their why. Mm-hmm. Um, then you've got an opportunity where you can appropriately, uh, I would, I don't want to say manipulate, but you can appropriately guide them in the direction they probably really want to go in. It's just not quite their idea yet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we give, I give lists of things to do to the president. Okay. You know, I mean, how to, how to move this project forward. Uh, because it's critical to the organization to improve revenue and increase membership and participation. But he, he just, he can't quite get there because he doesn't have a board that wants to move in that direction. Right. And so we, me and a few others stay in the background and keep feeding him, you know, and let him be the lead because we can't do it. We don't have the authority. I mean, we don't have the prestige and it would just torpedo the whole effort. Right. So we just stay in the background and just kind of feed him. And, you know, <laughs> and it takes patience to wait for that to come back. Well, and you might, <laughs> yeah, might, might, consi- might consider this, and this would apply to anyone else involved in, in working with volunteers and leading volunteers, is just instead of telling them how you can help by providing them a list, as, as yeah. an example, ask them, what, how can you be of service to them? How can you, Tom, help them? You know, ask sure. them what is it yeah. that they would like to achieve while they are the board uh, chair, um, and just yeah. and, and listen and just listen. But yeah. but if you can get them and maybe even ask a question, okay, uh, board chair, what are your suggestions on dealing um, with a revenue challenge or dealing with a membership challenge or whatever the challenge might be? But ask them you know, kind of give them some credit that they probably may not be as good of an idea or ideas that you have, but they don't have the experience you have either. Yeah. Tom, I want to thank you for joining us today. Specifically, I want to thank you for for all of the people that you touched, uh, not only from your Chamber of Commerce days, but when you, uh, in the Junior Chamber of Commerce, and then through Institute Training in Charleston. I want to thank you for joining Hardy and I today on this program. Well, thank you. It's uh, nice, nice to catch up and, and nice to kind of exchange some ideas. So, uh, and I'll I'll take those and and it'll uh, it'll help me kind of deal with this president and kind of help him along. You know, help help the organization along. So, great great suggestions, Hardy. Thank you all. Thank, thank, you, thank Tom. you, Tom Russo. We've got about 20, right. 20 seconds left uh, before we go to break. And, and when we get back, Hardy, I want to really get down and start talking about Stop the Blame Game. Because, again, I read that book over Christmas. It was a fantastic look. And I, I was going like, I know that person. I know that person. I don't, oh, now he's talking about me. So uh, those of you who are with us, please stay with us and come back. We'll be right back on Town Talk. I'm Bill Russell. For those of you streaming on any of our platforms, on WSIC, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, we're, we're streaming worldwide from Korea to Pakalit, South Carolina. We're out there, Hardy. Uh, there is no stone left unturned uh, with, with what we're doing today. Um, I want to talk about some of the other things that we're doing as a Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce. Tomorrow morning, Thursday, August the 17th, again, tomorrow morning, Thursday the 17th, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock, we're going to have a program at the Chamber, Blueprint for Your Profitable Business, presented by Brent Thompson, who's with Action Coach. He's a business consultant. All business owners can join them with Brent as he lays out the steps to increase the business's profitability. 
Uh, it's going to be located at the Chamber of Commerce in the Randy Marion Room on the second floor. Again, 9 o'clock to 10 o'clock tomorrow morning, Thursday the 17th. Then tomorrow afternoon, we're having a business after hours at Randy Marion uh, Automotive, but it's going to be held at his Cadillac dealership in Mooresville, uh, again, 530 to 7. And anyone who's ever attended anything that the King of Price has done will know that's just a premier networking event. Hardy, that was probably one of the biggest things when you guys uh, were active with your Chamber of Commerce. Networking was central to, to what you did and provided as a Chamber of Commerce. Absolutely. You know, it, it's uh, when, when you talk about that six degrees, well, mm-hmm. that's a way to accelerate the six degrees of, of, of connectivity, right? So it, it's all about who knows who. And it's all about relationships, uh, business, politics, government, uh, volunteerism. It's all about relationships. We do an excellent program on the third Friday of every month. It's called the Focus Friday. This coming Friday, the 18th, 10 o'clock, excuse me, 8, 830 to 930, we're having North Carolina House Speaker Tim Moore. Uh, he is going to be speaking to our group uh, that is purely virtual. I'm not a big fan of Zoom, but one <laughs> of the things that it allowed us to do is we can now have uh, we can have speakers, whether it's the, the Speaker of the House, the Senate Pro Tem, the U.S. Senator, the Governor, someone who might be a Senator on one of the committees in, in uh, Wilkesboro, uh, Raleigh, uh, the Outer Banks. They can all participate over Zoom that we weren't able to do before. So uh, there is a practical use of Zoom, and uh, this program is virtual. So if you want to join us this coming Friday with Speaker Tim Moore, 830 to 10, if you'll email us tomorrow or call the Chamber of Commerce, we'll give you the credentials. Later on that morning, uh, Friday the 18th, this coming Friday, 10 o'clock to 11, we're having a ribbon cutting from Monkeys at Lake Norman. That's uh, the newest boutique in Burkdale Village, and and Kim Dalsey uh, is going to be opening her business, and we're going to welcome her with a ribbon cutting. So if you're in and around Burkdale, please come out. Uh, the 18th, 10 o'clock to 11. Lots of ribbon cuttings taking place at the Chamber of Commerce. we got a lot of great businesses opening up. Um, how much time we got, Bill, uh, in the studio? we got 10, 20 seconds. So for y'all streaming with us, stay on board. We're coming back live in just about five seconds. Well, welcome back to Town Talk. I'm Bill Russell, president of the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce. I have Hardy Smith here with me, and he is the author of Stop the Blame Game, uh, 844-STUDIO-4. I've been told that we have Scott Lawrence on the telephone. Uh, He is calling in from Greenville, South Carolina. Hardy, Scott Lawrence was my board chair in 1996 when I first arrived at the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce. And, and he had he had several things. Number one, I want to flush out the visitor center, make sure we have some nice exhibits because we promised the towns we'd do that. Number two, I want you to build the revenue and membership of this Chamber of Commerce. But three, I want a leadership program so that we can, we can create the future civic club, business leaders, community leaders, elected leaders. And we have Scott Lawrence on the phone. Welcome, Scott. How you doing? Bill, so glad to be with you today. It's good to have you. Scott, we've uh, we've got the leadership Lake Norman cranking back up. It's been going on since 1997. That was a directive of yours. Well, it's been amazing what you've accomplished with that program over the years. I'm so proud of what we've been able to do. I was listening to your one of your last recent broadcasts and uh, hearing some of the feedback from some of the past participants. I was just very impressed with what they were able to take away from the program and put that to use in their and their involvement in the community. So it was well done, Bill, over all these years, uh, making that program happen. You know, Scott, um, I, I kind of did a little synopsis in 20 seconds of why you wanted to create a leadership program. But now that you have the floor, you have the dais, what was your vision for Leadership Lake Norman in 1996? Wow. I, I think we were talking about really, as you said, flesh out the visitor center, build the revenue, build the membership of the organization. You know, we at that time the chamber was only about um, eight, seven, eight or nine years old, so it was still going through some growing pains from little small chamber. Its main focus at that time was shop local and those type of programs. And the chamber was growing, and the membership was demanding more out of the chamber. And so there were some growing pains there on how to sort of take it to the next level. And I looked around, and I saw that other 
uh, communities in the area had these leadership programs, and it was just obvious to me. It's like, well, wait a minute, we, why don't we have one? So <laughs> it, it became a it became an imperative of of that year on the board that I said we we've got to step up and make something like that happen because we're we're going to be serious about what we're doing as a chamber. You know, we've got to be able to bring talented leaders uh, to the table, both internally to the chamber and throughout the community. Scott, um, again, Hardy is the author of a book, Stop the Blame Game, which he pointed out is on sale, Barnes & Noble, or on Amazon. But he, he talks about board management, the challenges boards have. Uh, in your year, either on the chamber board in 1996 or any board you've served on, what challenges did you face that uh, either you were successful or not successful overcoming? Well, I've been fortunate enough to be able to participate in the community, in, in different communities in different ways, and I've served uh, on numerous boards and have been chairman of two organizations, including the Chamber and another nonprofit. And I really found over time that the biggest challenge was building consensus amongst the board members on the board's role uh, as a board. And each board member came with a different perspective. And the way you would serve on a board for a church is different than your civic club. Oh, that's right. It's different than the chamber or the university board of trustees for a large university. And each of those perspectives is different about how the board was to be functioning. And, and even now, all that's different in the nonprofit sector from, say, a corporate board. So building consensus of what the roles were was the biggest challenge, I think. And for the, for the chamber specifically, you know, we had a very small chamber at that time that was growing rapidly, and it was important for us to, to increase the number of board members so that we had a better representation from the community, from the business community. We wanted it sort of a representational board so that the different parts of the business community were represented and their voice was heard. So do I have somebody from the small retail sector? Do I have somebody from the real estate sector? Do I have somebody from hospitality? And looking around each of the different business sectors of the community, do I have representation on my board from those different areas, and both large and small companies, so that our chamber has a, a, a voice going forward that speaks for the business community? And so getting the board members on board to say, you know, this isn't the, we're not going to run this board the way you run your church trustees, elders board. This is different. So getting everybody on the same page was, was the, always the biggest issue. Scott, uh, I, I wish you could see us right now. I don't know if you're on Facebook or not, but uh, Hardy's over here shaking, your, shaking his head, <laughs> nodding up and down, and uh, he's probably going to point out what page and what chapter that is and stop the blame game. But, Hardy, can you speak to what Scott just brought up? Absolutely. And, and Scott, uh, I, I, I've enjoyed hearing uh, a lot about the history uh, behind yourself and Bill so congratulations on, on uh, you know, w w when you talk about that leadership development program uh, in Chambers of Commerce, you know, the way I, I characterize that is you, with a program like that, you are creating an investment in your community that pays multiple, multiple levels of compound interest, right? So what was that first year, Bill, when the program was started? It, we we kicked it off in '97. So in '97, and how many years ago was that? So you look at it every single year that that program has been in existence. Now all of a sudden, you've got a couple of generations of over six hundred over six hundred people of, of over six hundred people that that are now involved in the area in in leadership programs and leadership roles, and that's so critical. So to to the question, it, it's certainly not unique. And as far as like getting getting board members to consensus, I think one of the key things is you have to kind of walk that back a little bit, and you have to get have to develop clarity around what it what what is the purpose of the organization? What is it that you're trying to achieve? And you've really got to to work those words, and and not just. Uh, not like a State of the Union address where you've got a word or a phrase or a sentence for every constituent interest. You've got to get down to the specifics of who the heck it is are you and what difference, what impact are you trying to make. So once you have that, all right, now the next thing is um, what level, what, how would you define success for your organization? Um, and then once you define that success, who is it that, from a skills standpoint, what are the skills 
that that you need to achieve that success, then you start looking at the who. So who is it? And then from your represent, representative organizations, and I heard very clearly you share that, and that's certainly a, a very common practice, is you want a good across-the-board representation of your membership, of your community, right? But it is so important. Then when you get that group together, you do have to, and it, it may take a little while, but it's so important to develop that consensus on where it is you're going. Uh, so it's very obvious that if that was a challenge in the early days of, of the Lake Norman Chamber, for example, it's quite obvious it's worked out pretty well. So you did find the formula. But you have to have what I call critical conversations, and you have to, and, and you have to listen, and people want to be able to have input. But clarity around what the expectation is and where you're going uh, is so, so important for any organization. Well, I, I'll recall that I did ruffle a few feathers. That was, a, that, was, <laughs> that was a transition point for our little chamber. It had been around yeah. less than a decade, and it had functioned as a small sort of merchants association promoting right. shop local. Right. And we were trying to make the transition to a full-service, full-blown chamber, and that was a big stepping stone. Right. And, and some chamber members were on board with that, some maybe not so much. And so it, it took some articulation of these goals and ideas to, to sort of make that transaction. And then you mentioned the who at that point. Then we said we need some professional management and not to brag on Bill, but I need to brag on Bill. We, we pulled somebody like Bill in to take care of the day-to-day, -day, right. uh, operate the chamber and the staff so the board can focus on the big picture. And But, you know, sort of articulating that transition. So at the time the leadership program was established, you know, that was a transition point for the chamber from, you know, a small merchants association to a proper uh, full full service chamber and, and you know that there were growing pains with that and i think that getting those critical conversations with the board members you know helped get us through that and and one of the things and that you experience this real time but uh, Scott and Bill there has been some really good research done over the last few years that shows that the nonprofits board members in the nonprofit sector and that's the social service agencies, chambers of commerce, associations, the full spectrum of the nonprofit world is that it's really surprising that the lack of knowledge that incoming board members have of what their role and responsibilities are for a particular organization. And even though they may have had past experience, they may or may not have the experience they need for your individual unique organization. Scott, we got about 40 seconds before we go up against a hard break. I want to share one thing. I remember you telling me that, look, we're not doing any more bake sales or flower sales on the sidewalk. <laughs> we're, we're going to be a chamber of commerce to provide professional development. We're going to go to Raleigh and we're going to advocate on behalf of our members. And, and uh, that was 1996. And I, I, want to, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, you look through a lot of resumes, young man, and thank you for tapping me. For those of you who are listening, uh, we're going to be going to a break in just a little while, and we're going to get back with Hardy Smith. We're going to talk about Stop the Nonprofit Blame Game, how to break the cycle of frustrating relationships. Please come back and, and hear us on Town Talk in just a minute. Thank you for everybody to stream. Is Scott off the line now? No, I'm. Do you want me to hold through the break? Well, or no. We well, you can. Go on to something else? I, I, we're going to be we're going to be talking about the Chamber of Commerce here, and 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 you can you can jump off in just a second. We're streaming live for our Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce members that are watching us on on YouTube and and Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. But uh, we are going to be hosting. We talked about our leadership Lake Norman program, and we are accepting applications right now for leadership Lake Norman. Folks who are interested can uh, download the brochure or get a flyer from the Chamber of Commerce. That's a program we've been doing since 1997. We typically have about 21, 25 people in the program. September 8th is the deadline for Leadership Lake Norman. Again, over 600, can you believe that, Scott? Over 600. 
200 people have gone through Leadership Lake Norman. We've had at least two members of the North Carolina House uh, that were graduates. We've had uh, town managers graduate from uh, Leadership Lake Norman, police chiefs, business leaders, chamber board chairs, chamber board members, civic club presidents, Rotary, Kiwanis. It has literally been the program that you talked about, Scott, uh, 27 years ago. You know, I, it, it, it really does leave a mark. I mean, it creates a stronger community and it, um, uh, you know, it just really sp- spreads knowledge and information and, and uh, puts these leaders in a better position to, to do what they're doing and, and uh, to build and improve a community. We also, uh, just over 10 years ago, one of the class projects of our leadership program was to create the Junior Leadership Lake Norman. Um, Junior Leadership Lake Norman is for high school juniors. So if you have a high school student that is starting back in the next couple of weeks, there'll be a junior in high school, whether that's a private school, public school, or even homeschooled for that matter. Uh, you can, there's applications for Junior Leadership Lake Norman. It's not quite as intense as the adult program, um, but it is, it is a, a very similar in nature. Scott, again, uh, we got about 20 seconds. I want to thank you again for spending time with us this afternoon on Town Talk and for your comments to Hardy Smith. Well, thank you so much, Bill, and uh, proud of your work there, and uh, good luck with the show as you go forward. Thank you. We'll see you. All right, take care. Well, welcome back to Town Talk. You just heard from Scott Lawrence, the 1996 board chair of the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce. I'm Bill Russell, president. I have Hardy Smith here. He is the author of Stop the Nonprofit Blame Game. And Hardy, we've been talking for for 45 minutes. We're going to get to some questions. But I got to tell you, when you came in, I think it was about November, right before Christmas, that you came in and you, you brought this book, Stop the Nonprofit Blame Game, How to Break the Cycle, Frustrating Relationships, and Benefit from Fully Engaged Boards. When I saw the cover, Stop the blame game. <laughs> I, there were three or four people through the course of my 30 years uh, of being chamber work, 20 years. I got out of college. I started getting involved in JCs, whether it was Kiwanis or, or boards, uh, Habitat. There's always been at that individual that, that sometimes they may blame. The reason we're not successful is because of you or because of all of you, but it's not my fault. It is <laughs> right. not my fault. Never. Where Never. did you come up with the the title and the theme of Stop the Blame Game? Well, Bill, anyone who is involved in the world of the nonprofit sector uh, is going to be very familiar with the ongoing, very frequent uh, complaints that are expressed around board members not doing what they're supposed to do. And uh, several years ago, when when I started becoming aware of how much, uh, how prevalent of an issue that that, that is, uh, I said, well, I, I am being a little bit of a contrarian myself. I didn't want to just accept that. I wanted to find out why. And there's a whole lot of advice out there on how to get your boards to do what they're supposed to do. And, and I, I've, I've got a hint for our, our nonprofit friends out there. More training is not the answer. It's, a good, it's not the answer. So the, I set out to find the answer. Why don't board members do what they're supposed to do? <laughs> and so I did a, a very uh, rough, and I'm not an academic. I'm not a certified researcher. Uh, but I did a very crude, very rough uh, nationwide survey. I reached out to board members, not professional staff, but board members across the country and put that question to them. Why don't board members do what they're supposed to do? And so the big reveal of all of that research was that board members told me uh, a couple of important things. Number one, they get turned off, good board members get turned off because of a bad board experience. Mm-hmm. Right, and, right. And number two, <clears throat> the most important single influencer around board members not doing what they're supposed to do is poor communication. So the big aha to me was that you've got one finger of blame pointing to that 
nonprofit board member for not doing what they're supposed to do. And then that nonprofit board member is pointing a finger back to staff saying, it's your fault. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing because you're messing things up for my own personal experience. So now you've got the two fingers of blame pointing at each other. That's where the blame game originated. Hardy, I, I really believe the Lake Norman Chamber of Commerce has been very successful for the last, well, we are actually 35 years old. Uh, not not because of a CEO, not, not because of the staff. Um, it really comes down to the boards mm -hmm. and the recruiting of board members. Now, I will tell you, you know, you got 20 board members and they come and they go. Not every board member has probably been the best board member that we, we could have had. But by and large, we've had tremendous leadership in the roles of board chairs and board members. How important is the recruiting process, process of board members, whether you're in a fundraising organization, a civic club, or an association? It's, it's absolutely critical uh, because if you think about it from the, from the, the staff standpoint, um, you, you know, it's an HR, HR question. HR will tell you, don't hire a problem. Well, in the nonprofit sector, why recruit a board member that you know is not going to be uh, a best fit, a good fit, and, and contribute uh, what you believe uh, should be contributed? Now, there are a lot of reasons where, where the fork in the road uh, organizations get to a fork in a road and in the recruiting process, and they take the wrong turn. And this mm -hmm. is like a rinse and repeat. The mistakes are, are, are just, they just, we just can't help ourselves on making the wrong decisions. And that's, that's the whole purpose of the book, Stop the Nonprofit Board Blame Game Bill, is to help organizations make the right decisions, find the people that you really need for your particular organization. So you have to be intentional. What is it that you want your board to do? What type of board member do you want? And I, I'm not going to bring up any particular sports teams because you and I can really <laughs> get off on some tangents. Yeah, Alabama and South Carolina, yeah. But we both love sports. That's true. And I'm going to tell you, if you want a championship team, don't you recruit championship players? Absolutely. If you want a team just to have a team, well, then anybody will do. Just they fit out a uniform and you just fill out the bench and you're good. I'm just saying, what is, what's your mission? How important is your mission? And are you getting the people that you need? And a lot, one of the mistakes is we don't take time to create a process for identifying what we need, who we need, and going after them. Hardy, again, this this was a very quick read. You bought it to me on a, on a Friday. I was done with it on Monday. Then I started <laughs> marking it up. I was highlighting. I was writing notes in the in the legends, and and it's a great book. You can download it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, a lot of folks through the through the course of my almost thirty years here, like Norman Chambers says, you know, Bill Russell, he uh, he picks his bosses. Uh, I absolutely don't pick my bosses. My job is more board management. My job is to make sure that if I think someone has the potential to be a board member, that we put them in leadership roles, whether that's committee chairs or things, encourage them to go through leadership like Norman so that people can see what leadership traits they have. Uh, and I kind of put horses in the stable. If you're an exec of any organization, whether you're the president of a chamber of commerce or you're the executive director of a, of a local uh, nonprofit or a charity, you need to be making sure you are putting horses in the stable. Talk about that process of making sure you got the right people on the bus. Well, it, it is very clear. So let's just, if we can stick to, to sports and I don't get too far sidetracked, but think about this. Um, you know when your when your players are gonna well at one time you knew when your players were gonna graduate but <laughs> yeah. but, but now with one and dones and the portals <laughs> and all that you may not know as much but here's here's the point I, I want to make um, so Lake Norman Chamber has had a thirty plus year of success so I, I'm I'm building on that organizations who are successful and who've gotten to the top. It is not easy to stay on the top. 
championship teams that build dynasties and continue to win year after year after year. It's not accidental. So you have to work just as hard staying on the top. What do I mean by that? Are you continuing to develop future leaders like the example you just shared? Who's your farm club? Who's the junior varsity, the freshman team? Are you giving them the experience and opportunity to learn, an opportunity to make some mistakes, some leadership mistakes that they can learn from and develop and grow from so that they, when they get to that full top board position, maybe a board chair, they are truly ready for leadership and they know what it takes for the organization to be successful. Hardy, we've got just a couple of minutes and I've got to ask this question. Um, what happens when you have a board member and they're not meeting expectations? They're, they aren't doing their job. What, what should the exec or what should the chair of that board do? Well, in an ideal world, and sometimes I get a little bit utopic, so, so uh, my, my grandson will ask, Grandpa, is that real? <laughs> well, yeah, those situations are real. Uh, here's the thing. The board chair, it's the board chair's responsibility to have that conversation with the board member. And hopefully the relationships are there. Um, the board member, when they signed up initially, understood expectations. And hopefully there's, there's a very gracious opportunity to resolve those situations. However, Bill, the reality is quite often they're not easy to deal with. The the biggest problem you faced as president of the uh, Talladega Chamber of Commerce, what was it? I think it's just continuously reaching out to get people involved and and to buy in and, and to believe that the community uh, could be better and have goals and aspirations and go for those. Hardy, we've got just about one minute. And that one minute, you you have a rich NASCAR history. You were down there with the Allison boys. Tell me one, in, in about one minute, one of the stories with Bobby or Davey. Well, I traveled uh, for a couple of years when Davey was on the, the ARCA circuit at the time. Uh, Daddy Bobby uh, put him on that circuit to prepare him for his eventual uh, ascendancy to, to NASCAR Cup level. And watching Davey Allison, Davey was my all-time favorite driver, and uh, and what a loss when we lost Davey. But I'm telling you, he absolutely won over. When he was racing ARCA, they were all convinced, well, here he is, Bobby Allison's son. He's a prima donna, and every single night they'd put him into the wall, and he, he understood that was a part of it. He took it all with grace and accepted it. He was, he was just going to get roughed up. But he dealt with it and earned the respect, and he would have been one of the greatest drivers ever in the history of NASCAR racing. I you know, miss Davey. The, tr the truth of the matter is I didn't watch NASCAR until that accident happened with Davey. Then, then I watched it on a Sunday to see how NASCAR was going to react to that particular instance. Hardy, thank you for joining us, and I want to thank everybody for being here. If it's Wednesday afternoon, we're talking about our towns on Town Talk, WSIC. I'm Bill Russell, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Hardy. Thank you, Bill.